Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. Thank you for joining us today on the Candida Chronicles podcast. I do want to remind everyone out there to be on the lookout for the release of the first of five books on Candida. The initial book is going to be called The Candida Chronicles. It's going to cover all the basis of Candida and the Biamonte method for handling Candida. And we're anticipating the book to be released within the next few months. So be on the lookout on this broadcast on the website health-truth.com for the announcement of the book's release. So today we're going to be discussing the interaction between candida, vitamins, minerals, and hormones. Now, a key thing to understand is that within this concept, we're essentially looking for negative effects, neutral effects, and positive effects. The first thing we'll discuss will be negative effects. A negative effect in this manner will be, or would be, that the nutrient actually makes the candida worse. Now why would that be? Let's first take a look at that. Why a nutrient would make a candida case worse would be because the nutrient in some way enhances or helps the candida. Either it helps the candida to multiply and spread, or it in, some, in some way it protects the candida, or in some way it neutralizes the body's own defenses against candida. I've written an article, which you'll find on my website, about the relationship between candida and coenzyme Q10. And this was actually a surprise to me when I discovered that coenzyme Q10 would increase candida and actually make it worse. Vitamin D is another nutrient which aggravates candida. And when we're, th- when we're looking at the relationship between vitamin D and candida, the principal thing that we're going to find is that ergosterol, which is vitamin D, helps to form and strengthen 
the candida's essential structure and its membranes. There actually are medical drugs, which are antifungals, that work solely by interfering with the uptake of vitamin D by the candida cells. This is how these antifungals work to kill candida. B-complex would worsen candida because the B-complex is able to increase the uptake of sugars and convert starches and carbohydrates to forms of sugar that candida can uptake and can dine on, therefore causing the candida to spread. In the area of minerals, we have iron functioning in a similar manner to vitamin D in that iron is apparently essential for the candida's metabolism. And once again, we find that there are medical drugs which block the uptake of iron into candida cells in order to kill it. Copper and calcium appear to be essential metals or minerals which help the structure and function of candida. And then we have toxic metals, primarily arsenic and mercury, which also appear to help candida. The interesting thing is that some people have perpetuated a theory that started, was started by a doctor in the Midwest who does a lot of chelation therapy, that the growth of candida in the intestinal tract is actually a protective mechanism by the body in order to attract and hold on to toxic metals like mercury to protect your body from it. Now, this is absolute rubbish. And the reason why I say this is absolute rubbish is because when you study the function or the actions of mercury on the intestinal tract, the first thing that you find out is that mercury suppresses the immune response in the intestines. So naturally, if someone has mercury toxicity and they start chelating the mercury and the mercury comes into the intestinal tract on its way out of the body, it's going to suppress the immune response there, which of course allows the candida to grow better. It's also been found that in the presence of mercury, candida seems to thrive and spread. It's almost as though the mercury has some type of nutritional effect on the candida. When you kill candida in a patient who has mercury, you'll see large amounts of mercury released from the candida cells, which can make the patient feel very sick. A person who is undergoing a candida treatment is wise to do a hair mineral test to see what elements he might be very high in because there's a very good chance that those elements are in his candida cells and they'll be released when the candida dies. Aluminum is another element which tends to worsen candida. Aluminum is considered a toxic element or heavy metal and aluminum has an overly alkalizing effect on the intestinal tract. People who have aluminum toxicity are too alkaline. They have difficulty producing HCL. And this is why aluminum serves as a, an adjunct, let's say, 
to helping Candida. Now, on the other side here, we see that there are nutrients which actually block the ability of medical drugs and uh, even the, so let's say naturopathic or herbal approaches to kill candida. And they do this by essentially protecting the candida cells from the oxidative damage that the nutrient would normally create. There was a, a parasitologist once up in the Bronx in Manhattan who I had met and I studied some of his work. He developed some of his own unique Brazilian parasite products. Man's name was Herbert Bueno and he had a strict rule in dealing with his patients and treatment where he asked the patients to not take any antioxidants while they were taking his herbs to kill parasites. The reason why is because these herbal products that he had worked to kill the parasite by creating oxidative stress and oxidative damage to the membrane of the parasite and taking antioxidants would essentially be a, a remedy and it would stop these herbs from working. So it's literally as though these nutrients, which fall into the antioxidant category, were antidotes to his herbal products and their ability to kill parasites. And the same thing we theorized was true with candida, and we found this to be true. We found that people very often who were taking a lot of antioxidants on our candida treatments did not get well. Their candida did not die due to the reason that it was being protected by the antioxidants. So virtually any antioxidant nutrient, whether it's a vitamin or a mineral, can have an effect to preserve candida and shield it from the medicine that you take to try to kill it. There are nutrients in the body which are naturally occurring there, which when they're in the correct amount, act as an inhibitor to the growth of candida. Um, I don't believe that this is something or subject which is completely known. It's more empirical and observed. But we do know that some of these nutrients also have, in their own right, an antifungal effect. In the presence of a copper deficiency in the body, it appears that certain type of fungal infections are more prominent. Copper sulfate, as you know, is used in pools and in large um, areas of water, particularly that are man-made, as a way of killing different types of mold, funguses, algae, whatnot. So it would make sense that in, the, in your body, copper would be a defense mechanism against the candida's growth. Excess copper, on the other hand, suppresses adrenal function and immune function and contributes to candida's growth. It's very common that you'll find patients 
who have uh, candida with excess copper in their tissues because the body's been trying to retain the copper in order to fight the candida and has been unsuccessful. Selenium is another nutrient which appears to be a natural antifungal. You'll notice that selenium appears in certain dandruff shampoos and selenium is the active ingredient to fight various topical funguses because uh, selenium is a natural antifungal. It would make sense that in a person's body, if they were deficient in selenium, they would also be more prone to the overgrowth of candida. Magnesium also has a natural antifungal effect. So typically you would find magnesium deficient in someone with long-standing candida. It's very common that you'll find an inability to absorb and utilize magnesium in a person with chronic candida. Vitamin C is interesting. Um, vitamin C is a unique nutrient when it comes to candida. I became aware of a study a while ago that showed the majority of the fluid in the intestinal tract is made up of vitamin C. I have not seen supportive evidence of this in other studies, but one particular study that assayed digestive fluid showed it to be very high in vitamin C. And we all know that vitamin C is a immune stimulating nutrient. So it would make sense that the immune system using vitamin C in the intestines is essentially trying to keep itself clean and disinfected. In certain cases where nothing else has worked to eliminate a person's candida condition, massive amounts of vitamin C, either orally to bowel tolerance or, by I, or vitamin C by IV, have helped eliminate cases of candida where nothing else would. So that's something to keep in your hat. And before I would attempt doing that in a person, I would make sure that we check their mineral levels because if they're deficient in copper or deficient in manganese, their ability to utilize vitamin C will be impaired. Giving someone who is copper deficient or manganese deficient large amounts of vitamin C may not work and may actually make them worse because the vitamin C uses copper and uses manganese to form coenzymes to utilize the vitamin C and make it active. So when you give the person large amounts of vitamin C, you actually could deplete them of copper and manganese. And in the case where copper and manganese are important for your body to use the vitamin C, giving them too much C in the presence of a copper or manganese deficiency won't work. It'll make the patient worse. So that would be a caveat to keep in mind before ever trying massive doses of vitamin C. Hormones are an interesting point too, as we've discussed on this broadcast several times. When we look at hormones, the first one that naturally would jump out on us would be estrogen. Estrogen and candida are very compatible. Estrogen stimulates the growth of candida and candida has an estrogenic effect on the body. 
It's, uh, when I say compatible, I think that's a very good term. Estrogen and candida are compatible and they're synergistic with each other. One helps the other to live or grow or exist. Estrogen stimulates the growth of candida, particularly estriol. Candida, and when it's in your body, makes your body more sensitive to the effects of estrogen. So it's almost like the estrogen was increased in the body when candida is present. Estrogen has been found to do something very interesting in the case of candida. Estrogen increases the amount of glucose circulating in the pelvic region, in the tiny blood vessels or capillaries there. And this is precisely how candida obtains its, its food or its sugar, is by tapping into those blood vessels. So estrogen aids candida in feeding on the sugars in your blood and uh, also hormonally as a growth factor. Estrogen is a strong candida growth factor. Now, cortisol is a bit of a different case. Again, cortisol has also been found to increase the amount of glucose circulating in the tiny blood vessels in the pelvic region, which worsens candida. But it hasn't necessarily been found that cortisol is particularly a growth stimulant to the candida. No one has ever proved that. It is known that cortisol does block or suppress your immune system so that would make the um, cortisol a cofactor in helping candida to live because the cortisol would be suppressing the immune reaction against candida. This would also just be true generally, that cortisol would suppress the immune system across the boards, which would allow candida a more favorable environment. There hasn't been very much research on the effects of testosterone and candida, except that we do know that people who are testosterone deficient generally become more immune depleted, therefore more susceptible to candida, but a direct correlation hasn't really been discovered. It's similar to progesterone. Progesterone, when it's deficient in the body, allows estrogen to be dominant, which allows the stimulation of candida. It allows thyroid function to weaken, which also stimulates candida. And as we look at that, we also look at thyroid hormones, which help stimulate the immune system and help create a correct body temperature, which therefore makes it harder for candida to grow. When someone is hypothyroid, they're much more susceptible to candida and fungal infections for that reason of a lowered immunity and a lowered body temperature. But as far as a direct correlation between them, I have not really seen to my satisfaction anyone come up with any data that shows there's a direct interreaction between the hormones from the thyroid and candida in the manner that we've seen in the literature correlations between estrogen and candida. There are many nutrients which I would say are essentially neutral in dealing with candida. Fish oil, for one, would be considered neutral 
in some of our diet material over the years, we've talked about eliminating or of trying to avoid vitamin A from fish oil when you have candida because the vitamin A could potentially serve as an antioxidant and block some of the functions of the antifungals. But this does not mean that fish oil itself with the omega-3s or 6-9s or 7s or 10s would be harmful to candida. These I would consider in a neutral category, as I would probably throw in vitamin E and all the tocopherols in that category. Bioflavonoids. Um, I have not seen any evidence that bioflavonoids necessarily influence candida either way. The trace element molybdenum is found to be essential to your body's detoxification of aldehydes, which are the alcohols that are produced in your body naturally by yeasts and by certain bacteria. And molybdenum helps the person detoxify and helps get rid of a lot of the symptoms that candida may cause. It's not known that molybdenum itself is actually an antifungal nutrient. This I have not seen in the literature to my satisfaction. There have been people who have theorized this, but there's no actual proof. When you put candida in a petri dish and you put some molybdenum in there, it does not inhibit the growth of the candida like selenium would. So we know that in the metabolism of waste products from candida, molybdenum is important. But as far as a direct interreaction, this there's no evidence. Growth hormone also would appear to be neutral, but growth hormone does have a somewhat of an immune-stimulating effect, so it could be beneficial. It would certainly be harmful to a candida patient to be very deficient in growth hormone, but there's no direct interreaction that we could see. Similar with DHEA, although DHEA is considered a sex hormone, DHEA itself, if anything, would have an anti-candida effect because of its benefit on the immune system. And if someone was uh, elevating his DHEA to the point where it converted over to estrogen, then this would be harmful for candida. But DHEA at a normal level in the body would not necessarily interact with candida. So again, that could almost be on the beneficial side or neutral side. Of course, when it comes to foods, it's extremely simple. The foods that are bad or that interact with candida in a bad way would be foods that are high in carbohydrates and sugar because this is what candida eats, essentially. This is the key thing. People have a tremendous confusion when it comes to candida and food. Candida diet is one of the most um, commonly searched for items when you go on the internet and you're looking at candida keywords. There are more versions of a candida diet than there are probably anything out there. And in actual fact, the subject is extremely simple. 
the foods that are bad for candida people are foods that simply raise blood sugar or themselves are high in starch or, or sugar. Low-carbohydrate foods are not harmful for candida, and low-carbohydrate foods actually starve candida. So when you're dealing with this subject, if you have handy a book which counts the carbohydrates of different foods, you can be more or less guaranteed that any food which has a low carbohydrate count is not harmful to a candida case. It will not make a candida case worse. And it's a food that would be desired by the person. Uh, foods that are fermented are a controversy because many people who have candida react allergically to fermented foods. Not everyone does, many people do. This is something that you would look at case by case. Mushrooms, edible mushrooms, are a food that the candida patient can become allergic to because the body's immune system starts to think in terms of all fungus is the same. Candida is a fungus, mushrooms that are grown, that are edible, that actually can be stimulating to the immune system or are high in nutrients are also fungus. So the immune system can start thinking all fungus is all fungus and just because it's reacting allergically to candida, it will start reacting allergically to mushrooms. This is something which uh, is variable person to person. There's no strict rule that everybody who has candida is allergic to mushrooms. The only thing that you could say with everyone is that everyone who has candida should avoid a high-carbohydrate, high-sugar diet. And other than that, one never knows. You, not, you need to approach the person uh, case by case and look at them as an individual and not make a general, generality. When it comes to genetically modified foods, there have been some studies that do show people who eat a diet of non-GMO foods are able to recover from candida quicker than those who continue to eat a high GMO diet. So that is something definitely to consider. The avoidance of GMO foods are of benefit for many reasons. But in particular, in recovering from any type of disease, candida or any disease, you'd want to definitely avoid GMO foods. They couldn't possibly help. They could only make you worse. And there are some studies that do show this. Um, Interreactions between candida, different nutrients, different foods, hormones, do not seem to be different strain to strain of candida. There are different strains. The most common strain of candida is candida albicans. Strains that are also common are candida gelbrata and um, candida tropicalis. These are common strains. 
Candida tropicalis is generally identified as a strain of Candida which has mutated from Candida albicans into the tropicalis strain. And it's generally thought that Candida tropicalis is harder to get rid of because it's become drug resistant. It is it's essentially the same strain to strain how Candida reacts to these different vitamins, minerals, etc. We're not going to find any variation on that dependent upon the strain of Candida. So there are some uniform rules you could conclude from this podcast at this point, and they would hold true for all types of Candida, all strains, I should say. They, sh- they would also hold true for all strains of intestinal yeast because other types of intestinal yeast, like geotrichium, which itself is not exactly Candida albicans, but it's a, another strain of Candida, react the same way in theory, to the nutrients, to the food, to the hormones. So keeping that in mind, you don't really need to worry about the strain you have in uh, putting together a diet or or something like this because it's going to be the same pretty much across the board. When it comes to amino acids, there is... um, I, I see some controversy in how amino acids might affect candida. I haven't seen anything that was um, tremendously authoritative regarding amino acids and their effect on candida. With the exception of the sulfur-containing amino acids, like uh, methionine, cysteine, cysteine, etc., helping with die-off because these um, sulfur-bearing amino acids help the person's methylation, which is their general detoxification. You could, you could say that the amino acids from that sulfur family are helpful in dealing with candida because they're helping you detoxify the die-off from candida. There are some indications, if you, you go online and you look at this, uh, that taurine deficiency may give way or encourage candida overgrowth. Um, I'm considering this, at this point, more of a theory. I haven't particularly seen any study which shows this. Most of the studies, when you go online and you look for amino acids studies and candida, most of them discuss the amino acids that make up candida's metabolism or the cells of candida. They don't particularly get into what interaction there is between candida and the amino acids. There has been a tremendous amount of ingestion, the amino acid glutamine, in candida patients 
because glutamine is one of the main substances found in products that are treating leaky gut syndrome. So many people with candida assume they have leaky gut. They treat themselves with the leaky gut products that contain glutamine. And so the candida is exposed to glutamine. And I have not seen one way or another any direct interreaction between the amino acid and candida. It's thought, though, that in the function of sugar metabolism, it's possible that you'll see abnormalities in the person's body that involve serine, alanine, and glycine because those are involved in sugar metabolism. The immune system uses large amounts of the amino acids lysine and arginine and also glutamine. These are, you could say, um, amino acids which are involved in the immune response, particularly against viruses. Not so much against candida. So we really couldn't say that those are involved. In the central nervous system, amino acids make up neurotransmitters. Uh, neurotransmitters have different effects on the brain, on your nervous system, etc. There is not that I have seen any research that shows any particular neurotransmitter interacts directly with candida. Except, as I said before, there, has, there is some evidence that when the amino acid taurine is deficient, it's an indication of candida growth. You most definitely would need to test this on a patient-by-patient patient, uh, level. Taurine is very important in terms of its interaction with magnesium. Magnesium and taurine couple together and are very calming to the system. Taurine has been found deficient in many people who suffer from various types of seizures and conditions of the nervous system in where the nervous system is overactive. So this is something to consider. But as far as a direct interrelationship between taurine and candida, that I'm not aware of. So, this covers the interaction between different nutrients and candida. There undoubtedly is more to know. And I think in particular, you are going to expect to see uh, predictable deficiencies in a person who's had candida for a long period of time. I'm going to retell a story here. I've told before on this broadcast. It's regarding how we would deal with a person who's nutritionally deficient and has candida. For quite some time, when patients came to me, uh, even patients claiming candida was their main problem, we had certain routine tests that we would do along with the candida testing. We would routinely do a hair analysis to check their mineral levels. 
we would do other functional types of tests to understand their levels of nutrients. It's typical in a candida patient that you find them deficient in iron, selenium, and molybdenum, very often deficient in magnesium, and they often can be high in copper, also high in mercury, high in uh, aluminum. If you do a functional test, such as the organics test, which is now done by Genova Labs, you will see that the person will come up deficient in most of the vitamins. Now, in my practice, when we had this information on the patients, we did not and still do not treat these deficiencies. Because in treating these deficiencies, we could potentially make the candida problem worse. Instead, what we would do is we would treat the candida, eliminate the candida, normalize the person's intestinal flora and whatnot, and then repeat the nutritional tests to see what change we have. And virtually in 95 to 99% of all cases, you will see a big improvement in the person's deficiency states. Even though you have not directly addressed them, by giving the person nutrients. The reason why their deficiency states improve, despite the fact that you have not given them the nutrients they were deficient in, is because the elimination of the candida allows the person to absorb and retain far more nutrition from their food and their diet. So it often resolves many of the deficiencies they have without having to specifically take uh, particular supplements. Now, this may be mostly true, largely true, not 100% true. There are some predictable things that you'll find with the candida patient. At the end of his candida treatment, when you then assess his overall health, it's typical you're going to find that he has underactive adrenals. His adrenals are usually the weakest point of the body. He very well may have low stomach acid, which may require supplements of uh, HCL to raise his stomach acid. You can find his thyroid might be deficient. Many of the nutrients associated with thyroid function could be low in his system. You could find molybdenum and selenium deficiencies, magnesium deficiencies. You find some of these things are still there. They may all be improved, you see. You can look at the initial nutritional testing the person did, compare it to the new testing, and while you'll see the person's basic patterns are still there, they may be much better. So their deficiencies improve despite the fact that you haven't addressed the deficiency. The deficiency improves because you've gotten rid of the candida. Folks, that will be the end of the broadcast today. I hope you found this enlightening, and I hope you found the information useful. Tune in again next Tuesday for the next edition of the Candida Chronicles. I'm Michael Biamonte, clinical nutritionist. That's a wrap for this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael Biamonte, certified clinical nutritionist. Michael holds a doctorate of nutropathy and is a New York State certified clinical nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists 
and of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330.